Thanks for bringing your Bibles with you. We're going to look at the book of Romans today. We're in this series now entitled Make It Count. And today I want to just emphasize that we are better when we work together. We're better together. And Romans chapter 12, the first eight verses there is our text. And as you're able, would you please stand to hear God's word. The Apostle Paul writing says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, how many of you? Everyone, everyone. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to who? Each one. Everyone, each one. Sober judgment. Now that doesn't mean to think less of yourself. He was just, he's just suggesting that we should identify who we are and come to terms with our personhood and who God has made us to be and the unique strengths and weaknesses all of us have. So be sober about that. You know, be realistic and learn who you are so you can employ yourself in the best possible ways. Verse 4. For just as who? Each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And who? Each member belongs to all the others. So we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. May God then inspire us and instruct us through this important word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Talent everywhere giftedness, ability, capacity, experiences, uh, uh, unique, unique perspectives on life and associations and relationships. Every one of us, everyone, each one of us, each one, each one has unique capacity and unique profile that God can use to influence the world around us. And it's vital that we, that we uh, find uncover, discover what those strengths and capacities are, and then mobilize them in the life of the church to ex extend the influence of who we are in this life and corporately to ex extend the influence of our church in our community and around the world. And it's vital because our church, listen now, the influence of our church will never grow any stronger than the core of lay ministers who carry out the various ministries of the church to the degree that you find your place and engage that particular ministry is the degree to which the influence of our church either, either thrives or is diminished. So each one of us has responsibility in this. Based on our text in Romans 12 today, there are a few things I wanna just bring out of this text that might be encouraging. First is this, every believer, each one, everyone, every believer is a minister. Now, we all agree that to be a Christian is to follow Jesus' example, right? He's our ultimate model. Look at verse 45 of Mark's gospel, chapter 10. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now there's Jesus and his model. Two things. These two activities we believe are models for us. He served and he gave. Served others, gave his life for others. These are the defining characteristics of a Christ-like life. And we all want to be like Jesus. And Jesus' greatest model is to serve and to give. And so we, we have that. In your bulletin today on the sermon notes, I, I put a little paragraph there that just reminds you of our philosophy, our worldview on what it means uh, to be in ministry as a person in the life of the church, a Christian person. And I, I put that in there not only for your information, but so you can use it as a take-home, as a, as a homework assignment. My challenge to you is to go home and look up all of those references and, and then ask yourself, what is God saying to me about serving and doing ministry in the life of the church? We teach every Christian is created for ministry, saved for ministry, called to ministry, gifted for ministry, authorized, commanded to be prepared for, needed for, accountable for, and ultimately rewarded for being engaged in ministry. Each one, every one of us has that responsibility. Every believer is a minister. Number two, every ministry is important. Every ministry is important. There are no little people in the body of Christ. There are no insignificant ministries either. There are no insignificant people and there are no insignificant ministries. Every ministry is important. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me on the screen. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. They're indispensable. They're important. Every ministry is important. You know, the, the, the metaphor is used of the human body, and we all get this. I mean, how many of you ever had a toothache? You had a toothache. How'd that, how'd that work out for you in terms of functionality? I mean, it tends to sh close down your options, doesn't it? I mean, how many of you have had a broken toe? And it, I mean, it just, it just changes the functionality of your life. You've got a bad knee, whatever it is, you understand that if, if what seems to be a small, insignificant part of your body isn't working, that it messes up the whole system. And that's what is being communicated here. If one of us fails to engage the place God has called us to, then the whole body suffers as a result of that. Um, I like to think of this as lights in the house. Um, the most significant light in my house is not the big chandelier over the dining room table. You know, it's the big show-off light, but it's not the most important light. The most important light in, in my house is that little bitty tiny light that lives in the hallway between the bedroom and the bathroom. So when you get up at night, you don't kill yourself, you know, get into the bathroom. That's an important light. Now, my wife claims that my favorite light is the, is the one that comes on automatically when the refrigerator opens. But that's not true. It's that little bitty light in the hallway. That's, that's my favorite. So every ministry is important. Yeah, and you have, to, you have to believe that because it's true. You want to believe the truth, that's right. Now, here's number three. We only have four ideas. We're halfway through the sermon. We're halfway through. No, 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 don't be that excited. It's just. Here's number three. We are dependent on each other. We're better together. Not only is every ministry important, but every ministry is intertwined with all the others. 
And since no single ministry can accomplish all that the church is called to do, we depend on each other and we cooperate with each other in order to see the full task completed. Uh, a couple of neat stories. I read an account from a man named Robert Neff. He's a Christian brother. He was away from home, decided to visit another congregation where he observed the following. He went into a little small church uh, where the, you know, with the hymnals and pews and all that. And he said, that morning, I quote, the tenor soloist didn't get out of bed on the right side. And that was his kind way of saying he was off. He said, as I listened to his faltering voice, I looked around and people were pulling out hymnals to locate the hymn he was singing. By the second stanza, the congregation had joined the hymn. By the third, the tenor was beginning to find the range. And on the final stanza, the congregation was absolutely silent as the tenor sang in a clear, strong voice. That's a great, great picture, isn't it? He later wrote, that's life in the body of Christ, enabling one another to sing the tune Christ has given them. I love that. What a great, what a great image. Heard the story, read this a long time ago. A band of Dakota Braves were pursued by warriors from another tribe. They found themselves standing on the brink of a raging river, hemmed in by the torrent on one side and the approaching enemy on the other side. The Dakota stood between death at arrow point, as it were, or death by drowning. They wondered if it would become each man for himself. But one of the smaller Braves then came up with this idea. And the idea was for the smaller men to climb and sit on the shoulders of the larger men and to lock arm in arm. And apparently as they waded into this raging river, the downward weight of, of the smaller braves sitting on the shoulders of the larger kept their feet secure on the bottom of the river. And because they were locked arm in arm, they all managed to get across safely. Isn't that the church? <laughs> That's the body of Christ. It's how we survive the torrents and the troubles and the challenges. We're better together. I used to enjoy the human interest stories. This will age me a bit of Charles Osgood. Remember Charles Osgood? He was on the radio and he would travel around the country and, and these out-of-way places and find interesting stories, good news stories around, the, around America. And near the end of his career, he was on TV as well. And he describes uh, in the Osgood files on one report uh, from a nursing home about two women whose names were Margaret and Ruth, both of whom were accomplished pianists. Love this story. Both had suffered incapacitating strokes, which left them with only one good hand. Margaret's left side was restricted. Ruth's stroke was also on the left side of her brain, so thus her right hand was restricted. But the director of this particular nursing home saw something that they could not. And one day she coaxed them both back to the piano and set them side by side, placed a solo piece of music in front of them, and asked Margaret to play with her right hand and Ruth to play with her good left hand. And out of that partnership of two one-handed has-been pianists came this new music and an even more beautiful friendship. Can you see those women playing? We're better together. That's the church. That's the body of Christ. The left hand can't say to the right hand, I don't need you. I don't need you. One, one strong where another is weak. Doing together what we can't accomplish alone. Listen, self-sufficiency is not a Christian virtue. 
An attitude of self-sufficiency is merely pride, which will always lead to no good. It's not, a, it's not virtuous. Our faith is deeply personal, but it is never merely private. It's deeply personal, but never merely private. I've had conversations, as you can imagine over the years, very important personal conversations with folks, and occasionally someone will say to me, Pastor, my faith is a private matter. That's my business. That's between me and God. Well, okay, I, I, but I know when someone says that, I know immediately that it's, it's something less than the Christian faith. Whatever else it may be, that person's faith is something less than the Christian faith because the Christian faith, while deeply personal, is never merely private. Are you, are you following this? It's important, to, it's important to get this. So we are a gathering of many, not a ghetto of one. Isolation from other believers, whether because of our pride or our fear or our busyness or past hurts or the many opportunities for recreation is a sin on two counts. First, it's a, it's a sin against yourself because it weakens you and it's a sin against the church because it starves us of the value that you add to the corporate expression. It's not good. So we need your spiritual gifts. We need you to be here so that you can learn what love means. Anything else is a lie that can't be substantiated by Scripture. Um, could I just say it again? Faith is a team sport. Faith is a team sport. John Wesley, our father in the Methodist movement, uh, never tired of saying to turn Christian faith into a solitary thing is to kill it altogether. That's a strong statement, isn't it? To turn Christian Christianity into a solitary thing is to kill it altogether. So if you've learned to say me and not we and learned to say I but not us, something is missing. You remain developmentally stuck at some spiritual adolescence and you've not yet matured into adult status where interdependence is the deeper wisdom. Interdependence. I just want to make a comment just so you, you can hear my heart again. You know, the last several months, we've made some adjustments and some changes. We moved this service over to this venue, and, you know, and there's some pushback about that, and people are asking questions. And maybe you haven't heard me say something that, uh, that I want you to be clear about. As I, as, as I study history, Christian history, church history, there are a couple of things that, that, that can happen in the habits of the people of faith that never work. One thing that the people of faith have attempted to do over the last 2,000 years is to somehow abandon the truth of the Scripture, thinking that if, if we go some other course and somehow apologize for the Scripture and, and fail to embrace it as the authoritative Word of God, uh, authoritative for both what we believe, our faith, and, and practice how we live our lives, that we can, we can, we can figure out a better way forward uh, w without having to embrace the the authority of the scripture. And any time in history that's, that's been tried, that never works. Faithfulness to the word of God is essential to the keeping of the faith and the spreading of the faith and the vitality of the church. The second thing that is always true historically is when Christians try to separate themselves generationally. So that where, where there are movements that spring up that say, well, you know, this is, a, this is an older style 
uh, movement, or this is just for the new generation, the younger style movement, and you try to separate generations, historically what we discover is that the church weakens and wobbles, and those movements tend to fail and dry up. It is always a tactical error and mistake to try to separate generationally. Interdependence is the way forward. Interdependence is where health is found. And so while those of, of, of you may wonder about our motives in making these adjustments and these changes and so forth, here's, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm trying to accomplish, just so you know. I want us to be interdependent generationally. We have to co-mingle with one another, old and young together. Young people need us, and we need their fresh perspective. That's a fact. And so we want to be interdependent going forward. And all the while, we want to lean toward the emerging generation. We want, we want to respect one another, and we want to recognize strengths and protect weaknesses and be in true and sincere community. But we want to lean toward the emerging generation. If all you're doing and your only motive in life is to keep the faith, you know, as you get older, I just want to keep the faith, finish, you know, kept the, finish the race, finish the course, kept the faith. Okay, keeping the faith, that's an important part of your mission all the way to the end of your life. But keeping the faith is only part of the larger mission of God. We also are called to share the faith and to pass on the faith. And so keeping it's one thing and passing it off is the other part of our mission. And so that's what that's what we're attempting to do. And I hope you have an appreciation for that. That is the call of God. Because if you get to the end of your life and, and you've kept the faith, and, you know, that's great, and God will say, well done, you know, you were faithful, you kept the faith, and you're, you're secure, and come on into heaven. And then someone might just sit down and, uh, and ask you, you know, what did you do to pass on the faith? You know, you sat there keeping the faith for, you know, the last 28 years of your life, but what did you do to share it, to pass it on? In what ways did you invest your life to serve and to give, serve and give, serve and give, in order to pass on the faith? It's an important question, isn't it? And so that's, that's the motive behind what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I hope you, have, hope you have a sense for that. So interdependence is the deeper wisdom. And that's, that's what I want to champion. Watchman Nee issues this warning to those of us deeply influenced by the psychology of rugged individualism. I just like it the way I like it, and I'm not going to change. I'm not going to reach out. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and keep the faith. And look at this statement that Watchman Nee issues. He said, alone I cannot serve the Lord effectively, and he will spare no pains to teach me this. He will bring things to an end, allowing doors to close and leaving me ineffectively knocking my head against a wall until I realize that I need the help of the body as well as of the Lord. So the body of Christ is like a big jigsaw puzzle. Every piece is required to complete the picture. When one part of the body malfunctions, the other parts don't do very well. One of the missing components in the contemporary church is this understanding of interdependence. Our culture's preoccupation with individualism and independence must be replaced in the church with biblical concepts of interdependence and mutuality. So important. Here's the last point. Ministry is an expression, ultimately is an expression of my, my profile as a person, who I am as a person. My gifts, my passions, my abilities, my personality, my experiences, all of these things combine to make each one of us, every one of us, a unique 
person qualified for unique ministry in the life of the church. Each of us uniquely designed by God to do certain things. So it's important that you understand your unique abilities and qualities and gifts. Otherwise, you can end up doing the wrong things and that frustrates you and frustrates people you're trying to help. You don't want to be around peg in a square hole. What you want to be is a person who understands who you are, your unique capacities, and employ those abilities in strategic ways. And that's when your life becomes most fruitful. Napoleon once pointed out to a map of China. He said about China, there lies a sleeping giant. If it ever wakes up, it will be unstoppable. Almost prophetic, wasn't he? But in many places today, the church is a sleeping giant. Our pews are filled with members doing nothing with their faith except keeping it. So if we ever awaken and unleash the talent and creativity and energy found in the pews, mobilize people effectively, we can really make a difference. And let me just say, you know, I'm preaching this uh, sermon to the choir. Union Chapel historically has always demonstrated a high level of participation by, by lay members of our church. And this video we did today, we didn't go to Ted and say, hey, Ted, you know, do a video for us and, you know, drum up, drum up some interest in lay volunteerism. Ted came to us. So our small group's already been doing this, you know, does this have value in the larger church? Yes. And hundreds and hundreds of you on a regular basis are putting your hands on meaningful service. And so I just, I'm very proud of you and I'm excited about the influence that God has given us as a church. We just went through this big push. It was awesome. You know, two days ago I got, a, I got an email from Kazakhstan. We have... We have long-term members and, and now a short-term delegation in Kazakhstan. One of the guys on our delegation is a mechanic, and so he was teaching some of these post-grad students who graduated out of the orphanages that we participate with and teaching them how to do auto mechanics. And it's a, it's a very useful skill, you can imagine, for them to make a living. And there was a handful of them that showed up for the last class, and some of them were missing, and so, so our partner... A mechanic decided that he wouldn't initiate new material that day and just have a kind of question and answer with the kids. And the kids began to ask him important questions about life. Why are you here? Why have you come here? You're an American. You don't have to come to Kazakhstan. He said, well, God, God loves you and God loves me and God's called me to come here and share his love with you. Oh, so you're a religious person. Well, no, actually, I'm not very religious, but I am a follower of Jesus. And I find Jesus very compelling. They said, tell us more about Jesus. <laughs> and one thing led to another. And you see the influence? You see, how, you see how it goes? And then Friday night, we had this special youth event with 180, and we had 226 junior, senior high kids. They all dressed up. It was a formal event, you know, like a, like a, a movie premiere, that kind of theme. And the kids were all dressed up, and we bragged on them, took their picture, and, and showed them a little movie, and then talked about Jesus. And 41 of those kids talked to a counselor that night and 17 of those kids who were here Friday night made first-time decisions to know Christ. How great is that? How great is that? And many of you here already knew that because you were here volunteering and serving and helping and being part of that ministry. Well done. It's awesome. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Yeah. We're created for this. We're made for this. We're designed for this. And so 
I encourage you to be part of it. Last story. Some of you saw the movie Drumline. It was produced a few years ago. It chronicles the maturation of a talented percussionist from Harlem who receives a full-ride scholarship to Atlanta A&T University. And the, this, the star role is this young man, man named Devin Miles. He's played by Nick Cannon. Most of you know the name Nick Cannon. He's the uh, TV host of America's Got Talent, uh, the famous husband of Mariah Carey. Nick Cannon, he's a, you know, he's a pop icon right now. And so he started in this movie. And he discovers that making the transition from hip-hop street drumming to a university-celebrated marching band is more challenging than he thought. And he's in trouble early on. He consistently deviates from the protocols of Dr. Lee, who's the leader of the band. And he fails to read the, the band rule book. And he provokes a fight during halftime of one of their shows. And he violates philosophy by constantly going off offline and showing off his drumming skills and in one scene it's quite compelling it's before sunrise the incoming freshman band members are lined up like army recruits on the football field as the returning band members the upperclassmen observe from the sidelines and the freshmen are all wearing white t-shirts as ordered by Dr. Lee except one guy has a black t-shirt on of course this is uh, this is Devin the, the Nick Cannon character He's always just a little out of step. And Dr. Lee addresses them like this boot camp sergeant. And when a few stragglers, freshman stragglers, arrive late, the director asks one of them to identify his roommate. Who's your roommate? You know, a guy stumbles in late. Where's your, who's your roommate? And the embarrassed latecomer, he points to Devin. He's my roommate. And Dr. Lee walks over to to Nick Cannon, this character, and ask him why his roommate's late. And he responds, you know, flippantly. He says, well, likely he overslept. And when the band director inquires, why didn't you wake him up? Devin, the character, looks at him and says, because I'm not his mother. And Dr. Lee, of course, is put off by the smart remark and attitude repeats the dialogue that he and Devin has just had loud enough for the entire band to hear then in military fashion he barks out section leaders what is our concept now you have the upperclassman on the sideline who is now privy to this conversation and he he asks them very firmly what is our concept and in unison come back this uh, this choir of voices one band one sound one band, one sound. Dr. Lee repeats it, shouts it out. One band, one sound. Then he says, when one of us is late, we're all late. When one of us looks bad, we all look bad. When one of us sounds bad, we all sound bad. And staring at the freshmen, he looks at them and he says, so what's the concept? And they all shout back, one band, one sound. And then he sends the guys who straggled in late off to run 10 laps. <laughs> but there it is, isn't it? Isn't that the church? When one suffers, all suffer. When one is honored, we all are honored. And it goes against the grain of this pressure that we feel from culture to stay isolated and, and heroic and individualistic and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and me first and me last, this individualism. Now, listen, I'm glad that you can grow into a place of maturity where you can say me and I. But we also have to learn to say us and we. 
And if we can't learn to say that, then it's going to be hard for us to be the church because God has designed us to be a corporate reality. We really are better together. Did you get it? Now, when we conclude in just a moment because the sermon's over, I'm going to ask you to sing, sing a closing song, receive the benediction, then I want you to go over to the chapel. You can do that just cutting across. You don't even have to go outside much. Just across the building here. And just go in there and check out this new ministry that we're trying to form called Random Acts of Service. But there are a number of other tables in the room there that have to do with children's ministry and nursery and youth ministry and, and, and other forms of service. And I hope you'll stop and linger there and ask questions. There'll be people there to answer your questions. And I want you to be involved because we're better. We're better when everyone is doing their role and doing their part for the glory of God. Amen? Would you stand up with me? Let's pray. Lord, today we thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that all of us, each one of us, every one of us is uniquely designed to be in ministry. And no matter what that ministry is, God, help us to embrace this truth. It's true that every ministry is important. There are no small things. In fact, those things that seem small have oftentimes the biggest impact. Every ministry is important. And Lord, remind us we're better together. We're, we're better when we're interdependent. So help us to find our place, our unique design, so that we, we might serve you in ways that make a difference in the world. Thanks for all you do in us, through us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.